The Boulderista is a podcast that celebrates the Boulder, Colorado lifestyle by highlighting local influencers and the inspiring impact they have on our community and celebrating the local traditions that make this the happiest place to live in the U.S. I am your host, Sherry Figueroa, and I invite you to explore what makes Boulder, Boulder. Mark Bayshore, a quintessential outdoorsman, affectionately referred to as Bay by his friends and fellow Eldora residents, where he has lived for 22 years, is here to tell his incredible story of survival at Arapaho Ranch this past winter. A day that started with a joyride on a snowmobile turned into a treacherous flight-for-life helicopter ride in 40-mile-per-hour winds to Boulder Community Hospital, where ER doctors placed Bay under a medically-induced hypothermic coma and inserted a stint to clear a blockage in a main artery of his heart. Statistically, only 10% of people who experience a cardiac arrest outside of a hospital survive. And of those 10%, the majority suffer some sort of neurological damage. With the help of a friend who administered early CPR, a quick-witted 911 dispatcher, and a heroic helicopter pilot and medical team willing to risk their own lives to save his, Bay literally defied death and survived a cardiac event that most never recover from, let alone in a setting as remote as Arapahoe Ranch and in harsh winter conditions. I feel lucky to have my friend and the real-life frozen dead guy in the studio today, Mark Bayshore. Welcome, Bay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I joke about that. You're really the frozen alive guy, right? The frozen alive guy is more the style right now because I actually lived for once. (laughs) I'm so glad that you did. Yes, it was (laughs) interesting experience. Well, we will definitely get to that. Um, I want to start at the beginning, though. Um, Tell us where you came from. How did you get to Colorado? I was born and raised in Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, around Harrisburg area. Pretty classic, middle class experience growing up, rural, urban, you know, one hunted, fished, played sports, all those kind of good things. When I got to college, I was in my third year of college, and my buddy, his sister was living in Boulder, and he was going to go out and spend the summer there, and his mother asked me if hey, if I pay you to fly back one-way ticket, will you drive out with Will and keep him safe? (laughs) So we drove out in the summer of 91. Boulder and Denver were a little bit different than they are today. Mm -hmm. It was a vast open expanse. And we came in, and I saw Boulder and the Flatirons in the back range. And, oh, my God, I knew I was moving to Colorado. year later, packed up my stuff day after Christmas, 1992, got on a plane, flew out, been here ever since. And so you get here, um, and it sounds like you settled in Vail for a little bit and did some snowboarding. Yes, we moved to Vail right off the bat. Um, Snowboarding was sort of in its infancy at that time, a little bit kind of renegade, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to snowboard Vail, Beaver Creek, and oh, what a winner. It was a wonderful winter. And, of course, I blew my knee out at the same time at that, <laughs> in that <laughs> season. But that's okay. We had a, I probably got 100-some snowboard days in before I blew my knee out. 
It was a good place to live. So tell me, you live in Eldora now, and it sounds like you lived in Netherland for a while. And back then in the 90s, it was very wild, wild west. <laughs> tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, right after Vail, I moved to Boulder. So April 1st, 1994, I moved up to Netherland with some friends. And back then, Netherland was still the wild west. Um, some of us weren't too welcome. It was old miners, hippies, bikers, Vietnam vets, people who just wanted to kind of disappear from society. But we settled there, and it was awesome. So you answered a paper ad, an advertisement for a carpenter. Is that right? That is correct. I started framing houses after I moved to Boulder. I kind of always realized that I was going to be in the construction industry. I worked as a laborer in my teens for a local construction company back in Pennsylvania. And I was kind of fed up with it. And I was looking in the paper and there's an ad. Carpenter wanted for very special home in South Boulder. I was like, this is what I want to do. So I signed on with Tim Harrington of Harrington Homes in 1997. And that turned into a 21-year career building high-end custom homes in Boulder. Well, I bet that um, back in the 90s, those homes were much more affordable than they are right now to build and to buy. I wish I would have bought one or built one back then because I'd be retired now if I could sell it at today's prices, that's for sure. Um, yeah, you know, some of those houses, I look back, one of my crowning glory houses was the Spider House in North Boulder for the gentleman who started Spider Sportswear back in the day. And it's a unique property, and it was in a couple magazines, Colorado magazines. And we designed on the ornamental metal gate the Black Widow Spider, which is the logo of Spider Sportswear. And back then, I built that one in around 90... Actually, that was 2007. And I don't think you could build probably a high-end custom home around 3,000 square feet for the cost of that house today. Yeah. It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference it in, is. in a decade. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's funny to me, the juxtaposition of you building these high-end homes and then you know, where you're living up in Eldora in what I'm told <laughs> is a small <laughs> cabin. Tell me more about that. Well, my friends like to joke that I was into the tiny home movement long before the whole tiny home movement <laughs> became a movement. I live in a 500-square-foot miner's cabin. The original part was built in 1909. Everything leans a little bit to the east from getting blasted by Eldora winds <laughs> for the last hundred years. Um... I do nothing on my cabin. It's sort of a cobbler wears no shoes scenario. I hate working on my own house. I would drop everything at a moment's notice to go help somebody else work on their home. And at the same time, I go build houses that are worth 600 to 800, sometimes up to $1,000 a square foot. 
and I have unfinished wood floors, unpainted trim. Sometimes the pipes freeze in the right conditions. <laughs> most people's garages are probably twice as big as my house on most of the custom homes that I build. I'm noticing a trend here. Um, you know, your friend's mom who asked you to drive out uh, with him to move him out here. And, you know, this cobbler wears no shoes. Um, it's seems to me that you are the guy that will drop everything to help someone else. I am pretty known up in Netherland for helping people out. I worked at the teen center as a board of directors for five years. And I help out friends. I'll jump in, throw, build a shed, chop firewood, cut trees down. I spend a lot of time on Arapahoe Ranch, which is between Netherland and Eldora, doing sort of a part-time caretaker there. So I, don't, I just jump in and help out wherever I can. Where do you think you get that from? I think I get it from my father. My father was the same way. He would always help people out. He was a school teacher, and the kids loved him. And I don't know, I find, I get a joy helping people out. It's those little things that, oh, yeah, I had a terrible day, but I went over here and helped fix this person's deck so their kids didn't fall through the handrail. Okay, perfect. It's been a great day now. <laughs> well, and it's definitely come back around to you because it was because of the help of a friend on Arapahoe <laughs> Ranch that you survived this event. So, why don't we get right into that story? <laughs> I know everybody wants to know how this went down. So what happened on that day? Well, it was January 26th of this year, 2019. Um, this was the first year I had permission to ride snowmobiles on the western end of Arapahoe Ranch. So I had free reign of 700 acres to rip around, get my power sports on. I don't really remember the day I know that I was on the snowmobile because everyone told me I was on the snowmobile. At some point, I'm not sure how long I had been riding, I was on the railroad grade of the old Switzerland Trail, which cuts through Arapahoe Ranch. And I must have gotten the snowmobile stuck in a snowdrift because I had texted my friend Marianne. She is Kayla Evans' partner at Arapahoe Ranch Cabins. It's a summer cabin rental up there. And I sent her a picture of the sled stuck in the snowdrift. But I don't ever remember taking the picture. And it looked like I had been digging for a while. Everything was tossed out and but I was by myself, and there's no way that sometimes you can turn a 350-pound snowmobile around. So I texted Marianne that I was going to abandon the snowmobile and come out the next day with some friends and help me dig it out. And that was the last text message that I had sent. And from there, I have no recollection of anything that happened. Um, it's apparent that I decided to walk back to their house. 
which was about 20, 25 minutes, potentially post-holing, wandering. The winds were blowing horrifically. The drifting was terrible. At some point, Marianne texted me, hey, are you okay? And I never responded. Um, They think something was starting to happen to me out in the field. And she came out and looked for me, and she couldn't find me. And so she started to get concerned. And then randomly, I showed up at her house. And she was the only one there with the dogs. And I sat down by the fireplace, and she said I was acting a little bit strange, not my normal self. I asked for some tea, and I've never asked for tea once (laughs) in my life at Arapaho Ranch. And she went to make me some tea, and then I said I was going to lay down with the dogs. And while I love those girls, I've never laid down on the floor. She thought that was an odd thing for me to say. She went into the kitchen, and she turned around, and I was blue. And I fell off the fireplace hearth. Mm. Thunk, onto the ground. She immediately called 911 and started giving me chest compressions. Um, I've listened to the 911 call at Boulder County. And she was incredibly calm. And I think that's because those tough ranch women, just they're cool under fire. And the dispatcher was incredibly calm as well. Her name was Jasa. And it was the first time that she had talked anybody through CPR in her 911 dispatch career. So Marianne had started giving me chest compressions within the first 30 seconds to under a minute. And then Netherland fire, the first volunteers showed up in under five minutes. Some were actually the first guy within three to four minutes and took over CPR. Marianne was like, I need to leave it to the professionals now. I could be done. <laughs> I think I freaked her out a little bit and I'll be forever indebted to her. Then the rest of the fire department showed up at about the nine, 10 minute mark. When I still wasn't breathing, they had put a bag on me and were giving me chest compressions and they hit me with the defibrillator twice. Um, The first time didn't restart my heart. The second one started my heart, but I still wasn't breathing on my own. In the meantime, one of the local guys, Eric Abramson, he's a longtime Netherland firefighter. He had called for a helicopter. And at first, they got a negative response from the helicopter company, Northern Colorado Medevac, which is based out of community or Boulder Community Hospital. And they thought that they were going up to Eldora Ski Resort, and they said no fly. The winds, the forecast and the winds were too too hard. Eric called him back, and he knows me. We've been friends for quite some time as well. And he's like, no, it's at the base of the shelf road. It's on Arapahoe Ranch. We need the helicopter. And the, the pilot, who is an actual military veteran and flew some tours, he said he'd give it a try. And they weren't sure if they were going to actually be able to make it. But they gave it a go. And they flew in some of the worst conditions they've actually ever flown in. 
in recent years. Eric told me that he had never seen a flight crew that rattled when they actually finally landed on Arapahoe Ranch. And the flight medic and the, par- and the flight nurse, Bo and Suzanne, they immediately got out of the helicopter and they said I was in pretty critical condition. They weren't even sure if I was going to make the flight. And they intubated me, loaded me on the helicopter. I hadn't been breathing for a little bit. And I got flown to Boulder Community Hospital. It took, with the tailwind, it was one of the fastest flights they've ever had from the Netherlands area. Uh, winds were upwards and well over 40 to 60 miles an hour. They flew me down and I was rushed into the cath lab and they put a stent in my right coronary artery and then put me in an induced coma and hypothermia. They had stuck a balloon in my heart to help my heart beat every other heartbeat. And then they stuck a balloon up into the right side of my chest to circulate a cooling solution to drop my body temperature down to about 89 degrees. At that point, I was in the intensive care unit and I was sat there for two days unresponsive to anything. The doctors were not giving me a real good shot of actually coming out of the coma alive or being able to breathe on my own. My friends and my mom were having some discussions about what to do if I was brought out. At some point on day two of hypothermia, some friends were talking to me and they noticed that I started to twitch a little bit and I blinked my one eye a couple times. And they weren't sure if I was actually supposed to be doing that. And they went and got a nurse. And the nurses told them it's impossible. He's in an induced coma, an induced hypothermia. He cannot have any body movements at this point in time. Sure enough, they brought her in. The nurse asked me a question and I responded with some movement. Well, everybody got tossed out of the room. There was a little bit of a frenzy going on. The cardiologists were called in. The whole cath team was called in. And they decided to pull me out, warm my body up, reverse the coma. As I started to warm up and come to, I got a little bit feisty. And they pulled the ventilator out, and I sat up, and I started talking. Like nothing ever happened to me. I wasn't concerned why I was in the hospital. I wasn't concerned that I was potentially almost dead. I just sat up and started talking. And it was actually pretty miraculous that I pulled through with zero brain damage, or as I like to say, no additional brain damage (laughs) (laughs) from the whole event. The flight crew came in and they were absolutely amazed that I was alive. And the first thing I asked, I told the flight crew was that I was really upset that I don't remember the helicopter ride. (laughs) And right then and there, they knew what type of individual was. It didn't matter that I was actually dead for a little while and was revived. I was more concerned that I didn't actually get to enjoy my first helicopter ride. No one thought that I was going to pull through and then... I pulled through, and I'm a hero to the nurses, the cath lab people, the cardiologists, my friends, the flight crew, 
to this day, I still maintain contact with the flight crew because they actually were the ones that saved my life. Also want to emphasize the importance of that early CPR. Really one of the most important things I think you can learn is CPR. Um, cardiac arrest kills over, I think it's, I think what my statistic was, was like 500 to 600,000 people a year. Only one in one out of 10 people live through a cardiac arrest event outside the hospital. It's a 10% survival rate. And every minute that goes by without bystander CPR chest compressions, the survival rate goes down 10% per minute. So the fact that she had started administering CPR in under 30 seconds to a minute is mainly the reason I probably lived. Being a bystander and performing CPRs, I can't emphasize it enough. Take a class. And the weirdest part about my event is my best friend actually passed away from cardiac arrest back on June 18th, 2006 in the backcountry. We were skiing on Father's Day at Mount Toll up at Brainerd Lake Recreation Area. And he was one of the most fit human beings that I've ever met in my entire life. Plumber, skier, rock climber, mountain biker. We gave him CPR, but he had the Widowmaker and there was no chance and he was way too more too remote for us to make any difference at that time. But my friends who were there, they tried and just didn't work out. So that was what made my event a little bit weird as well is having a friend that died of cardiac arrest and then having cardiac arrest was kind of a bizarre moment in my life. Yeah. You, you sort of wonder why you survived. I, I wondered. I had a little bit of an issue of why I survived and why he passed away. It is a miracle. I want to go back just a minute. Um, you mentioned this HACA treatment, hypothermia after cardiac arrest, and it seems so bizarre to me. Um, but there is a specific reason for that treatment, and it tell me why the doctors chose to do that. You have to meet a specific criteria for HACA, and one of those is the lack of oxygen right after your event. And I wasn't breathing for quite some time on my own, even though the first responders had put the bag on me and were pushing oxygen into my lungs. If they stopped, I would stop breathing. It took the helicopter about, from liftoff, about 30 minutes to get up to the ranch afterwards. And because I wasn't breathing on my own and I had a lack of oxygen for a while, they were concerned about the brain damage. And what Haka does is it slows the entire neurological function of the brain down to help prevent any damage and lessen the damage if there was some that had occurred in, from the time that you actually had cardiac arrest until they had you on a ventilator. So I met all of the criteria. It also helped slow the body down and take any load off of the heart. And it's really designed to prevent any further brain damage. 
Haka seemed to work on me, but I was on it for two days. My friend's daughter, who's, I think she's six now, she was like, Uncle Bay's feet are really cold. <laughs> they said it. Even though you were, they only loaded it to, I think it was 89 to 91 is the goal, degrees Fahrenheit for the body temperature. They said I felt like I was frozen. Speaking of frozen dead guys, right? So we have this um, festival up in Ned, the the frozen dead guy festival that Mark actually you were a part of for 10 years, weren't you? I was a part. I My friend Amanda has run frozen dead guy days for quite some time now. And that's what kind of where the whole frozen alive guy came about. I was the tour driver to the tough shed where the guy is frozen for years. And I would drive sometimes five to ten tours a weekend over Frozen Dead Guy days. But I think everybody should go to Frozen Dead Guys once in their life because it's an amazing festival. And a little bit sick and bizarre that we celebrate a cryogenically frozen individual that lives in a tough shed above town in Netherland. That's Ned in a nutshell for you. That is Ned in a nutshell. <laughs> Parties for dead guys. <laughs> well, Nat Geo named Boulder the happiest city in the United States in 2017. Coming full circle, and I know, you know, it's technically still Boulder County up in Eldora. How is this true for you? Why do you love where you live, and why do you call Eldora home? Well, once I actually moved up to the mountains, I realized if you could deal with the winters in Nederland, you basically had one of the most perfect environments for someone who enjoys the outdoors. You could get down to the big city of Boulder with every known convenience, in 30 minutes. But out my door in Eldora, I can go fishing. The creek is seriously 150 feet from my front door. I'm surrounded by national forest. There is an extensive mountain biking trail system at West Magnolia behind my house, up between Eldora and Caribou. And over on East Magnolia, you can actually ride your bike the whole way to Boulder if you want on a trail system. You can ride road bikes out the door, up to War, down south. Eldora Ski Resort. I actually look at Eldora Ski Resort from my house. I can be up to Eldora Ski Resort in seven minutes. But the outdoor recreation around the house is basically right out your front door in every direction. It does not matter what you want to do. The town of Eldora has, or the town of Nederland has yoga studios and fitness places, everything that you could possibly want to do, backcountry skiing, summer mountaineering, it's all there and all within 10 minutes from the front door. And it also has just a great sense of community. Nederland, it seems like if we lose power or have a bad snowstorm, there's no crime Everyone helps one another. The B&F supermarket, if they lose power for more than a day, will bust out the grills and start cooking all their food in the freezer for a free barbecue. Bars and restaurants will 
give the locals just a tab because they can't run the credit card machine or pay in cash. It's just far enough into the mountains that you actually feel like you're in the mountains, but you have big city life within 30 minutes to an hour. I mean, you can be in Denver and go to a sporting events, the Broncos or the Avalanche game in an hour. You just feel like it's a cozy home, just a beautiful place to live. Well, one thing I want to mention is that despite having insurance, Bay was left with some hefty medical bills, including a $37,000 helicopter evacuation ride. Amongst friends and strangers alike, he's always been one to step in and help in any way he could. So friends, if his story has moved you, please consider making a donation on the Bay Needs Our Help GoFundMe page. Thank you, Bay, for sharing your remarkable story of survival with us today. You are living proof that learning and knowing how to administer CPR can save a person's life, a life that is so fragile and can be taken at any moment, moments that are now being treasured as precious today by yourself and those your story has affected. So can you leave us with a final thought? My final thought is if you have an old friend that you haven't talked to, give him a shout and say hello. Life can be over in basically an instant and you'll never know that. Don't leave those loose ends hanging. Tell your friends you love them because it can be over and you'll never know it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boulderista Podcast. For more info on today's episode, to nominate an influencer to be on the show, or to connect with me for your Boulder real estate needs, please visit us at www.theboulderista.com and on Facebook and Instagram at The Boulderista. While you're there, don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Until next time, stay happy, Boulder.